Hi, Issaquah Christian Church. My name is Will Denny, and I'll be guest speaking today while Aaron is out enjoying some time with his family uh, this Memorial Day weekend. I'm really excited and extremely blessed to get this opportunity to share with you today. Um, real quick introduction to myself. My wife and I, we currently live in Covington. Uh, we've been married for coming up on nearly four years. Um, I work in a small manufacturing company uh, down in the Kent Valley as a mechanical engineer. And uh, some history with Aaron and I, uh, Aaron's been my mentor and friend for nearly 15 years now. I knew Aaron from way back in the days when he was youth pastor Aaron, or as we called him, PA for short. Um, Aaron has played a key role in my faith journey, and so it's a real privilege to get to serve him today in this way. Before we get into the word today, I wanted to acknowledge the Memorial Day holiday and take a moment of silence and remembrance of the fallen for our country. For anyone who has lost a loved one, who has served their country, we want to honor you today by taking a moment of silent reflection. Heavenly Father, we just want to give you thanks for the freedoms that we get to enjoy in this country, to be able to worship you freely. And we want to pray with the families who have lost love, loved ones in the military and just ask that as they're grieving that your Holy Spirit would be there to comfort. We just want to offer those families to you in, in prayer and, and just ask that, that you'd be with them, Father. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. All right. So I have a fun story that I wanted to share. While I was in college at Green River Community College, uh, studying for my engineering degree, I was trying to find a way to share Jesus with some of my fellow classmates. At Green River, there are many students from around the world, from, and from the age of 15 or 16, God had placed a real deep desire in me to see the nations reached with the gospel. And how lucky was I that God had brought the nations to my school. Unfortunately, I didn't have many friends at the school with me from my church who shared the same vision. Many of my strong Christian friends either moved away to study at a university or went straight to the workforce. I wonder if any of you guys can relate. This is where I can kind of brag on Aaron a little bit. He would show up at the school and pray with me, asking God to move among the students there. In a short amount of time, I was finding opportunities to share my faith with some fellow engineering students from Vietnam. One of the afternoons, I was sitting with one of my new friends, Koi, uh, who's from Vietnam in the campus cafeteria, talking about Jesus, just kind of finding out what he thought and, and uh, his background. When I noticed then that there was a Ukrainian guy just sitting a few tables away from us, sort of eavesdropping on our conversation. After a few minutes, he came up to me and said, excuse me, in a polite, sort of shy, with a deep, heavy Ukrainian accent that I'm not going to try to copy. Um, but then he said, I don't want to interrupt, but are you a Christian? I told him I was, and his face just totally lit up with excitement. He then said something along the lines of, I didn't think there were any other Christians at this school, and just burst into excitement. Uh, he immediately sat down, and we talked probably for the next hour or so about how we each came to faith. And from that moment on, we were, we were tight friends. Only a couple weeks later, I was visiting his church 
and getting to worship Jesus in Ukrainian, which was truly a blessing to get to do. To be with families from another nation and worshiping in their, in their tongue. Dimitri and I were both mutually so encouraged to just have one another um, at the school. We finally had a friend on campus and it made it so much easier to share our faith. A year or so after becoming friends, we were blessed with a small group of Somalis, Koreans, Vietnamese, all interested in learning more about the Bible. And we were just so stoked for what God was doing there. I wonder if you've shared a moment like that, where you find out that you're not actually the only one. C.S. Lewis has a quote from his book, The Four Loves. It goes something like this, Friendship, I've said, is born at the moment when one man says to another, What? You too? I thought I was the only one. These moments lead to the beginning of incredible friendships. For Dimitri and I, our friendship grew, and as a result, we were both mutually encouraged to pursue Jesus more and more at Green River so that we can make his name known among our international friends. Some of the fruit of that friendship was a growing ministry among our international friends. I was there convinced of the reality that Jesus always intended to do discipleship together. Today, we'll be picking back up in the book of Acts, and we'll see how Paul has one of these what you two encounters if you have your Bible with you, please turn to Acts 18, 1 through 11. I'll be reading the passage and then pray together before we dive in. So Acts 18, 1 through 11. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila and a, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius, the emperor, had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. <clears throat> and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Heavenly Father, we just ask that as we dive into this scripture, that you would continue to just reveal who you are. Pray that as we continue to just dissect what you have for us today, that you would also empower us with the ability to just walk out what your spirit leads us to do today. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So at this point in the story, if we remember from last week, Paul's left Athens after being on trial at Mars Hill. Paul has now come to Corinth, which is a thriving port city located on an isthmus. A little history on Corinth. It is located on the isthmus between the Greek mainland and the Peloponnesian Peninsula. On either side of this isthmus 
is access to the Aegean Sea to the east and the Ionian Sea to the west. And some scholars estimate that as early as 600 BC, a sort of ship railway was formed for ships to cross the three-mile strip of land from one side to the other. You can imagine then how the city, strategically located in the middle of this land bridge and sea, became an important economic hub. Corinth was also an important political and cultural hub. After being conquered by Rome, it was established as a provincial capital city. The Ithmian Games were also hosted in Corinth. All this activity and economic opportunity brought people from all over the Greek and Roman world. As you can imagine, this multicultural, wealthy pagan city also had developed a reputation for its Roman paganism. Wealth disparities and immorality. Paul headed to Corinth understanding the significance of the city and, as he has done in the cities before, started off making his way to the Jewish synagogue. However, we read that when he arrived in Corinth, he met two Jews recently expelled from the city of Rome, Aquila and Priscilla. It is assumed from the text that Aquila and Priscilla were already Christians when they met Paul, since Luke, the author of Acts, did not, does not share their conversion stories like he does so many others. I can imagine Paul meeting Aquila and Priscilla in a similar fashion to my encounter with Dimitri. Here's Paul, alone. Remember that Timothy and Silas are still off in Macedonia, and he meets not only fellow tent makers who help him find a job that he can then use to support himself, but finds out that they already know about Jesus. We don't get to read much about Paul's relationship with Aquila and Priscilla, but they are mentioned several times in his letters where we get some idea and a glimpse at the friendship that they shared. In his letter to the Romans, chapter 16, verse 3 and 4, we read, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Now, we don't know what event Paul is referring to here, where Priscilla and Aquila risked their lives for Paul, but we get the sense that their friendship was strong, being bound together through their shared adversity together. They traveled with Paul for some time during his missionary journey, which we will continue to read about in the weeks to come. And we'll read that they played a key role as the early church began hosting families and um, new believers in their home. I wonder, given all of this, I wonder how encouraged Paul must have been to have met these two on his journey, recently come from Athens and being discouraged to have these new friends. Next, we read that Paul continues to make the case that Jesus is the Christ in the local synagogue. Much like in towns before, Paul follows the pattern. Find a local synagogue, preach to the Jews. After being kicked out, go to the Gentiles. In Corinth, we read that, like in past cities, the Jews eventually oppose and revile him. But Paul calls out against them, your blood be on your own heads. At this point, it's when he goes next door, just across the street to the synagogue, and sets up shop again. Not only is he just next door to the synagogue that he just rebuked, but we're told that the whole household of Crispus, the leader of that synagogue, become followers of Jesus. It's probably about this time that Paul is thinking to himself, 
that there's going to be some rough stuff going on from the Jewish community, that he's going to be driven out and have to go to the next city. Because if we look back on the journey so far, Paul doesn't get to stay long anywhere before experiencing some level of persecution that drives him out and he has to go to the next town. I'm not sure about you, but seeing the pattern, I would certainly be starting my exit plan. Instead, Jesus appears to Paul in a vision and says in verses 9 and 10, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in the city who are my people. That phrase, do not be afraid, for I am with you, echoes from a rich history in the Old Testament where God is constantly encouraging his faithful followers in times of fear. For example, we find in Exodus 3, 11 and 12, where Moses is talking with God in the burning bush before confronting Pharaoh with the plagues and asking to let the Israelites go. We read, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He, the Lord, said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, and you shall serve God on this mountain. Or what about in Joshua? Joshua 1.9, where Joshua is standing before the walls of Jericho with the armies of the Israelites getting ready to go into the promised land finally after these years of wandering. We read, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And again in Jeremiah 1a, as Jeremiah is commissioned by God to be his prophet to the people of Judah and to call out their sins. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you, declares the Lord. And again, in the New Testament, in Matthew's Gospel, we see in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, as Jesus is commissioning his disciples before he's taken up into heaven. Here's Jesus saying, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Throughout scriptures, time and time again, God comforts his faithful followers by promising that he'll be with them. Paul was likely bracing himself for the anticipated persecution and might have been planning his exit. Instead, Jesus came to Paul with this historically rich promise that he does not need to fear because he will be with him. Jesus commands Paul to stay, and so he does for a year and a half, longer than he stayed in any other city, preaching and teaching the word without much hindrance from persecution during this time. I have to wonder what kind of renewed energy Paul had after his fellowship with new friends, being reunited with his band of brothers as Timothy and Silas return, and receiving this encouragement and reminder of God's presence. As I reflect on this passage, there are a couple things that really stick out to me. First, is that the Christian life of discipleship is not meant to be done alone. I often used to think of Paul as this almost superhero figure in scripture, 
who kind of just does it all by himself. But in this passage, we find he needed friends for encouragement and to do the work of ministry well. He needed um, Aquila and Priscilla to be able to finance the ministry. And he needed Paul and Silas when they got there so that he could continue to just go out and preach the word. Paul was far more effective with a team of faithful friends than he ever was alone. Jesus also models this pattern when he sends the disciples out in pairs of two to preach and teach, and he himself leads a small band of 12 close disciples. Jesus never did ministry alone. I shared my story of how I met Dimitri, and it wasn't long before we met other Christians at the school that helped grow and shape our campus ministry of international students. It was through this tight-knit group of friends that I even met my wife. God used a community of believers at Green River Community College to reach the nations who had all just arrived on our doorstep. Unfortunately, there have also been other times in my life where I've lacked this kind of community and it has been much harder to be open about my faith and even have the desire at all to make disciples. As I mentioned before, my day job is as a mechanical engineer for a small manufacturing company. I don't know if you can relate, but I have found the corporate workplace to be one of the hardest places for me to make meaningful friendships with non-Christians and share my faith. I worked there for a couple years and only had a handful of meaningful gospel conversations. About a year ago, however, one of, my, one of the young men who I've had the privilege to walk alongside for a number of years in a similar way that Aaron has had with me uh, started there as an intern. All of a sudden, it felt like I had someone else with me in the trenches at my workplace. And to my surprise, we started finding out that a handful of our coworkers were also Christians. And this has all been pretty recent within the last couple months, and it has got me and my friend James just so excited about what God might be doing within our company. As you consider your workplace, or school, or family setting, who are you in the trenches with? Is there, is there, if there isn't anyone that comes to mind, I wonder who those people might be. Those people that might come along and you can say, what? You too? I firmly believe that as we seek God and ask for community of friends that God will provide. It's amazing to think really that Aquila and Priscilla were all the way from the city of Rome and found themselves in Corinth doing the same trade that Paul did just as he happened to be passing through. God's hand was clearly in each of these events, leading up to bringing them together. The th second thing that stuck out to me from this passage was God's promise and encouragement to Paul. Here, we get a glimpse into the fear that Paul may have been feeling after getting persecuted time and again in the cities before. I'm reminded of the humanity of Paul and also all the other early Christians. We see God's love and compassion for Paul as he encourages him with that rich reminder of his presence that echoes from all these saints from before. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but there have been plenty of times where I felt discouraged and even afraid to share my faith. I need to be reminded that God is always with us. The same God who humbled Pharaoh with miraculous displays of power, who threw down the walls of Jericho, and who died ultimately on the cross to rise again three days later, conquering death, is with us. I wonder what would happen if we remember that promise more often. 
we would probably care a lot less about what others thought and instead be free to share the hope and love of Jesus and make deeper, meaningful friendships with fellow believers. We would probably see waves of new followers of Jesus, much like Paul saw as he continued to preach and teach in Corinth. I have a few thoughts, some, some real practical key takeaways from me from these passages that I've been trying to implement as I was studying, and I would like to share those with you guys. The first is to pray with watchful eyes. And what I mean by this is to be curious as we pray for those around us. Who knows? You might be surprised at who you meet. I like to do this by just asking God what he is up to in the lives of coworkers. I find that this generally leads to me asking genuine questions of my coworkers and finding out more and more about their spiritual journey. The second is to be the kind of friend that you're looking for. And what I mean by this is to have that what you too kind of moment requires some reorienting of what I think and talk about um, so that I'm actually sharing the aspects of my life that I'm hoping to find in others. If I hadn't been talking about Jesus at the lunch table that day at Green River, I don't know if I ever would have met Dimitri. If I only share my hobbies, I may never find out what I might have been, that I might have been working next to some fellow believers for few years in my workplace. I try to often reflect on the things I find myself talking about most and how that aligns with what I really care about most. And third, to reflect on the promise that God is with us. This can be as easy as starting the day by reading a passage like Joshua 1.9 and reflecting on God's promise. Doing something like this in the morning can really help me to properly orient my day before I let my phone bombard me with the news, with email, and all the worries and cares that the day may bring. And again, I wonder what kind of difference it might make if we really believed the promises of God and started our day aligning ourselves with the reality that God is with us. So what do we have to fear? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to stop and acknowledge your goodness and give you thanks for what you've done for us on the cross, <clears throat> and that you are constantly with us. I ask and pray that you would fill us with your spirit and remind us that you are constantly with us, and let that change us. Continue to change us to help us be more outgoing with our coworkers, with our friends, with our family. And we just pray and ask that, that you would move in big ways. Help us, Father, in our weakness to continue to just rely on you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.